10-5 touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Amir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you once again to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank, a very basketball-heavy edition of the show today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, we'll be joined by A-State men's head coach, Mike Bellato, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff because uh, his team's playing some really good basketball right now, but also want to kind of get into his story and some of the things that uh, happened before he got to Arkansas State. Yeah, um, looking forward to that because, uh, you know, he's got an interesting story to tell on top of having, you know, one of them not the best teams in the Sun Belt right now. So I'm looking forward to, to putting him in the hot seat here and seeing what happens. Do want to recap what happened this Past week, his team making the East Coast road swing, the Appalachian State Coastal Carolina trip was this past week. And it started this past Thursday at Appalachian State. And it was a good contest going in. Top two teams in the Sun Belt Conference. A State was in first place, Appalachian State right behind them in second place. The Mountaineers actually led this game by as many as 15 in the second half, but even you know with a bad shooting night, A-State made a run late, got to within three late, but uh, App State able to hold on and win it 61-54. to And that, that final score kind of told you the story. I mean, that was the pace that App State wanted to play. They were last in the league as far as pace of play coming in. They wanted to keep the the score low, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and, and this is a team, this Arkansas State team. I know they're frustrated about not winning, but you know they've shown the ability to be chameleons of sort, like because they want to beat you, you know, out playing fast and making shots and getting steals and getting out on the break and all this and that. But I know they didn't win this game because they didn't hit shots, but they gave themselves a chance to win that game. They gave themselves a chance to win a game at Lafayette when the backcourt went six for 36 and the game went overtime. And then we've seen times, uh, Air Force, Texas State, and some of those times where other teams want to come in and do what App State did. And those teams were able to get the game played their way at Arkansas State won it anyway. A good night for Avery Feltz and Malcolm Farrington. They both played well off the bench. They had 10 points apiece. Norshad Omir did get his double-double, 11 points, 10 rebounds. I know he was disappointed in a lot of things that happened, though. And you mentioned you know, a reason why the Red Wolves lost that game in Lafayette earlier this year was because of a rough shooting night from the backcourt. Caleb Fields had a night that he doesn't usually have. He went 0 for 9 from the field in that Appalachian State game. Uh, Marquis Eaton did move up on the all-time scoring list in that App State game. He moved from 7th to 5th on the career scoring list. He passed Dan Henderson and John Belcher. I think he still has a chance to move up a little bit more by the end of the year. I mean, when the time you look, you know, it's going to be games played, games started, minutes played, the points, you know, assists. I mean, it, he's going to have his name all over the record book. And there's a conversation to be had about 
being honest, he, at this point, he's going to be the first ever player to get to do it in five years. That doesn't change what happened the first four. He was still on a lot of these lists yeah, after his four-year career. It's just he's taken this fifth year that was given him and just sort of uh, you know, kept moving up those charts. So the Red Wolves lose at App 61-54. Then they go to Coastal Carolina on Saturday. The longtime head coach at Coastal is Cliff Ellis. And kind of a side story here, you know, in 48 years as a head coach, Cliff Ellis, who's fourth on the active wins list in Division One, the only people in front of him are Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Beheim, and Bob Huggins. He's also the only coach in history to win at least 170 games at four different schools. In 48 years as a head coach, he had never missed a game until this past Thursday against Little Rock. And he had to miss that game due to COVID issues. And he missed the game Saturday, too, against A-State. So they had one of their assistants filling in. But still, it, it was a big chore. And you and I talked about it on Friday uh, during your show. This is a coastal team that was as well-rounded as any team in the league. They led the league in scoring offense. They led the league in field goal defense, three-point defense, rebounding margin. And it's not easy to go in their place and win, but... It was a great game. Ten ties, 18 lead changes. Late in the game, the Red Wolves down 64-60 to with a little over three minutes left. A-State finished the game strong, which is what you wanted to see. They go on a 13-2 run to end it, and they win it 73-66. to A great response from a team in a championship hunt. Because, you know, you and I talked, as you said, Friday, and the message was in, look, did you want to win the App State game? Yes. But you can take some of the sting out of the App State loss if you go get the Coastal win. Split that trip, and really no matter which way you do it, if you split that trip, you're really not going to be too hurt in the conference picture. So to respond like that, not just to get the win, but to respond late and kind of dig in in the championship rounds, so to speak, it speaks well for this team. We talked about how good Coastal's defense was going in. A-State shot over 50%. They hit 11 threes in this game. And the three-point shooting late was a huge story. Uh, Malcolm Farrington ended up hitting the three to put A-State ahead for good. Eaton right side. Gives it up top to Norshad. O'Meara drives. Kick it out right corner. Farrington for three in the lead. Yes! Malcolm Farrington puts A-State back on top. 66-64 with a buck 40 to go. And then seconds later, once A-State gets the ball back, Caleb Fields hits his second three in the last three minutes of that game. So that was great to see. And another big storyline was the play of Avery Feltz, and he had a great trip. You know, He had 10 points uh, at App State, but he matched his career high with 13 points at Coastal Carolina. He was 5 of 8 from the field, 3 of 5 from three-point range. And look, we've seen what kind of defender he can be, but he's starting to look like the offensive player that he showed when he was in high school. He was a big-time scorer in high school, but that scoring was on display this weekend, too. Well, what you see is probably the fruits of his labor at the college level in terms of the defensive end. There's two things he probably needed to do when he came in in redshirt. It changed his body commit to the defensive end because again this was a kid at the high school level they just outscore everybody not that he didn't play defense it's just he's a prolific scorer so you see in the fruits of, of those labors physically you can go out there and, and play the four yeah. if you need him to 
and and he has and now you'll to know that hey that scoring touch is still there and it's a kid that you know his uh he's a microcosm of this team is that he'll play whatever role coach Bellato asked him to play on a given night norshad had a big night 22 points 10 rebounds his ninth consecutive double double the men now 14 and 5 overall 5 and 2 in league play and all alone in second place in the league standings. So he averaged 16 and a half and 10 on the trip. 16 and a half points, 10 boards. Won't be player of the week. You don't think so? No. I, and, I'm, and that's a credit to him. He will not be the Sunbelt player of the week. Well, he averaged 16 yeah, and a half and 10. It's under his season averages. So <laughs> he might still be in the running. Well, I'm just saying, some of these other guys say, number one, they lost a game. Number two, I mean, he may, the next week it may be 24 and 12, and you just can't not give it to him. So this is a week that a lot of people are going to get some tiebreaker votes against him, trying to give it to somebody else. The Ace Day women with. A couple of home games this past week, a couple of close losses at home, good couple of teams mm-hmm. with the Texas schools in town, and you were able to call the game Thursday yeah. against UTA, and this was a wild game. Ten ties, 15 lead changes, and UTA ends up winning it 90-87. to Yeah, it was a fun game, uh, You know, as you said, kind of about the, the game you were talking about earlier with all the ties and lead changes and just trading punches and uh this it was a fun game to watch then you know unfortunately it overshadowed by the fact that they that they suffered a loss the fact that you know, saw a triple double which you just you know you just don't see those at the college level you know just so happens i'm trying to think if there's anybody else if i'm the only member of the club that saw rudy sims triple double and morgan wallace's in person well, I mean, you called both of the games because Rudy Sims did it in 2006, and now Morgan Wallace has done it. Morgan with 12 points, 11 boards, 10 assists. She's just such a, a good basketball player. It, it can, it, again, sort of a chameleon, just does whatever role. Great kid to have around. That it's, was her third straight game where she had played double. all 40 minutes. And too. it was going to be a third straight double-double, too. Uh, just so happens she jumped it up a notch and I'm going to I still think like it's funny I I've been for years saying before Jaira Washington gets out of here she's going to have a triple double and I still I'll stand by that I still think Jaira Washington has great chance to have a triple double that's the type of game she has and then I, I don't think I did Morgan's credit in, in calling it because she went to the free throw line with eight points and ten boards and so I was able to say hey she hits these two free throws. She's got her third straight double-double. I never looked further to the right and saw where her assist number was at the time. It wasn't at 10 yet, but I didn't look to see where it was. And all of a sudden, you know, a little bit later down the line, I get a text from Caleb Garner, their SID, saying, Morgan's got a triple-double, first since Rudy Simpson 06. And that very old 10 assists on the board. And, like, I wish I'd have done a better job of knowing that was coming. Well, you just don't see him very No, often. you don't see him. Jaira Washington did have a big night in that game as well. She had 28 points. Trinity Jackson, 21 points, 8 boards, and 17 of her points came in the second half. But again, UTA able to win that one. And then uh, another chance on the home floor Saturday against uh, a good Texas State team. Texas State wins this one 75-69. Red Wolves uh, were plus 14 on the glass in this game, but the, the shot wasn't there. They shot 36% for the game. 
And again, the opponent shoots over 50%, and Destiny Rogers continues to harp on the defense, saying it's just got to get better. And that's tough to do in the course of a season. Like, right? I mean, uh, at some point, a team sort of has a personality. It's either you're a team that's a good defensive team or, or really your team built to outscore people. This is a team built to outscore people. And, and I mean, go look at their scores over the course of the season. They, even in losses, can score a bunch of points. It just happens there have been times they've given up more. Uh, you're right. That's driving Destiny Rogers crazy because she would tell you she's a defensive minded coach. It's tough to fix on the fly. But, I mean, you will see what this team is. I mean, you look at the women's standings right now. App State's got one loss. That loss is to Arkansas State. But since you know, Kia Patton went down in the pregame warm-ups to South Al, you know, they've, they've dropped four in a row, but they've lost them by eight, by seven. The game at Troy, they had to lead in the fourth quarter. Three-point loss to UTA that they you know, just a shot here or there and you win it, and then the six-point loss Saturday. So, I mean, they've dropped four straight since Patton went down and had a sh- had a chance to win them all. One thing that we do need to mention is the game Saturday from Trinity Jackson. And 18 points, but 21 rebounds. The 21 boards tied for the second most rebounds in school history. And it was the most rebounds by a Sunbelt player since 2018. You have to be happy for this kid. I mean, obviously she's developed her game over time, but really – Trinity Jackson gets the most credit for Trinity Jackson's you know, development because it was all going to be about committing to the conditioning end of things. That's it. Like, right? She's putting, she's putting up these numbers because she can be on the floor more now. The reason she can be on the floor more now is she bought into the conditioning side of things. She's played a boatload of minutes because of the work she's put in, and now you're seeing the numbers are put up. There may not be a stronger player in the country, just physically strong, and I'm for certain there's not a stronger player in the conference than Trinity Jackson. The women now 10 and 11 overall. They're three and five in Sunbelt Conference play, and they'll make the Louisiana swing coming up later this week. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But coming up next, here on the Second to None podcast, we'll be joined by A-State head coach Mike Bellato. Stay tuned for that. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here, refinished the floors here twice, sized up your daughter's boyfriends here, waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave. This place has given you all you've dreamed of, and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Back on the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Joined in studio now by our buddy, it's A-State men's basketball coach, Mike Bellato, and I love sneaking out of the office in the middle of the day. I appreciate you guys doing this at this time. Yeah, so stressed out. Middle middle of the day on a Monday, get you out of the office, hang out for a little while. You get to drink some coffee. Just rejuvenate my mind for practice in about two hours. Well, I'm going to start because we'll probably bounce around a lot. That's what we're doing this. Oh, you mean with me? Yeah, Yeah. we'll bounce around as much as you want. Because the first time you and I visited, you came in the studio on my show, and pretty quickly found that you were a wrestling fan, so it's just oh, kind yeah. of the direction it went. Absolutely. So, I don't know that in the in the five years I've known you, I, I've really heard kind of how basketball became the deal because 
I don't know that you raised up at home where basketball was the deal. So mm-hmm. how did this end up the path you were down to begin with? Well, growing up, one of the things that I knew I was going to do is I was one day going to be the WWF heavyweight champion. Yes. Like that was like my deal going growing up. And then apparently my dad thought that I was nuts. So really when I started playing, I played every sport growing up. Soccer, baseball was big in my yep. family, Hispanic family. Grandfather trying to tell you you know how to throw a curveball when you're nine years old. Like it was a big deal now. And and, let, and I'll fast forward later when uh, I decided to go another way. My grandfather didn't talk to me for about oh, probably a month. But um, I'll tell you where it really started. So growing up, my dad came from Cuba, knew nothing about sports in the, in, in America. Just baseball and whatever they showed over there if they showed anything so when he gets here and he's young the boston celtics are like the dynasty of basketball right well the first time he saw a game they were playing against oscar robinson and the cincinnati royals and they were getting blasted so my dad being my dad has no idea how good the celtics are i mean they got bill russell i mean they probably won five seven championships in a row whatever he says you know my family we are underdogs, so I'm gonna start cheering for the green team because they're the they're the underdog, and I like the underdog. And I said, "Did you realize that they were pretty good?" After he says, "Oh yes, after that game, they won a lot of more games, and they were good." So I continue to like them. And I grew up in a, in a household where my dad was a diehard Celtic fan. So when I was growing up, we'd always watch the games. And back then, you remember, NBC played, what, one, two games a week? Yeah. Like, you had the Lakers, you had the Celtics, maybe the Knicks, mm-hmm. uh, Portland Trailblazers, maybe. You know, somebody that was good back then. So we would watch every game. And I started to love the game because of Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish. And, and then when I really started playing, when I wanted to start playing – we had an eight out. Okay. So I got in trouble in school. I was talking in class. You know me, I'm very quiet and I can't believe oh, that yeah. I got in trouble. And uh, I had to do detention. And my detention was I had to take the score of the girls' eighth grade game. This is when I was in the seventh grade. So my job for detention I had to go after school. The girls were playing against another team, and I had to like flip. The, you know, I had the little flip scoreboard. Man, what an awesome game it was! It was like outdoors, but it was like back and forth, and I was like all into it. And then when I got home, we I didn't have a basket. We didn't have a court anywhere near me, so I grabbed this iron chair and I had like a cushion in the middle. I popped the cushion out and I put it on this like uh, right like gate. And I put it around with um, hangers, you know, like the wire hangers. And that was my first basket. It was probably like six feet. <laughs> and my the backyard, we didn't have any concrete. It was like one slab, like corn. So it was, I, I can only shoot from the, from, from the, the what I would say, the left side. So I was, corner threes were going in, baby, I'll tell you, because I couldn't shoot anywhere else. And I, that's my first basket until my dad got me one. I just started to love the game. You know, I, I played every sport. But that was the one that, for some reason, just – just stuck with me and I didn't start playing until the seventh grade but um my dad was happy because he you know he, he loved the game my grandfather not so much because <laughs> he was a baseball guy <laughs> but it was just one of those things in Miami it's hot guys you play football and baseball outside boy it's not it's 90 some degrees did your grandfather ever come around oh yeah yeah he was at the games and he had no idea you know what I mean but he'd he'd watch it he'd watch it though oh, he'd watch it and you know when he when he started to learn that I really started to love the game man he passed away 
when I was already out of college. So the whole time growing up, you know, he really wanted to learn the game. So he'd sit down and it got kind of annoying because he'd ask like questions like, what happened there? I said, that's a three in Spanish, obviously. That's a three. Why is it three? Well, behind this line is a three. Why not four? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, so, ask David Stern. I have no idea. When the teacher said, Mike, I've told you, you know, that's it. You're talking too much. Go to detention. Did you jump up and tell her she had missed the call? <laughs> I, I looked at her. I said, me? You sure it's me? She says, oh, yeah, no, it's you. You're the only one talking. It's you. Uh, I'm going to need you to do something. I thought it was going to be like lines or something. But that was a way to get – I guess back then that was a way to get free labor. <laughs> they they <laughs> give a kid detention, and he had, to, he had to work for the school. But thank God she did. Thank God she told me to do that. You know what I mean? And I don't know if I would have l- – you know that wasn't the reason. I just remember that being a a significant um, moment where I can look back and say, "Man, I enjoyed that day, and I enjoyed basketball that day." Not playing, not not being serious about it, and just got more serious from then on. Well, you played. It took you into college. Yep. You played there, but when did? Coaching become a thought. When did you think you wanted to give that a try? Yeah, well, that, I'm gonna I'm gonna credit my college coach Gary Tool for that. You know, he lives in Louisville now. He's retired, uh, married, one of the finest minds I've ever been around. Great motivator, hard coach, really intelligent. Was an action assistant for Denny Crum at Louisville. Was the SID at Louisville one time. So we had we kind of had this special bond after I got the job because he lived there. He lives there now. And well, I got a great story. So when, when I'm getting recruited, I wasn't really getting high. I wasn't as good as these guys are. So I had like a preferred walk-on spot at FIU. I had Barry University coming in Division Two, where a lot of the guys that I went to high school with had gone before me. And then Coach Tool at St. Thomas University. He comes in my house. He's my first visit. And we got three set up that week. And he goes into his spiel, you know, shows the whole deal. Obviously, no laptops back then, just like binder, you know, pictures. And and then he comes up and says, you know, this is what the package is going to be. This is what your parents will have to pay, which was basically nothing. Recruiting visits, you take, like, in order. Like, you do one, then you do the next one, and you do the next one, and you see which one you want. Well, when Coach Tua got done, my dad looks at me, and he looks at Coach Tua and says, wait a minute. You're saying that you pay for everything? And Coach Tua's like, yes, sir. Mr. Bellotto, we pay. You know, and he looks at me and he says, sign the paper. And I go, Dad. In Spanish, I said, Dad, that's not, that's not the way it works. Like, you got to listen to the other coach. No, I'm not taking any chances. Sign the paper. That's where I went. To sign the paper. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it happened. Um, but I really started to get into coaching. Going into my junior year, I was voted captain. You know, we had a good team coming back. Um, I had played ever since I was a soft freshman, sophomore. I transferred in. And, man, Coach Tool called me in his office and says, you know you're never going to play in the NBA, right? And I was like, well, thanks for the vote of confidence. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> and he says, no, I tell you that because I think you should think about going into coaching when it's all said and done. You know, everybody's position, you're unanimously, unanimously picked captain. Um, you got a good disposition. Um, you know everybody's position. You know, everybody comes to you with questions. I think it's something you might look at. And if you don't want to, at least you can get, in, you can get a master's out of it. That was really the whole kind of deal. So then my senior year, he takes another job, Augusta State. And we have a good year. And then he, he kept his word. He said, he called me. He said, hey, I need a GA to come up here to Georgia. Are you interested in doing a master's? And I said, yeah, I'll go up there. So I went up there. And when I got to really understand what it was like to coach at the college level, like recruiting, 
you know, the strategy as far as preparing for games, how much more stuff you had to film. You know, it, I just got consumed with it. And I said, there's nothing I'd rather do than that. Like, I'm not going to. I wanted to be a sports psychologist. You know, I was crazy enough as it was. So I, I, I was in no position to help anybody else. So I'm like, I'm going to do this. This is, And I love being around the guys. It kept you young. You know, you're in the gym. You're not wearing a suit. I just loved it, and it was just a passion that I had. And I'm going to credit him because if it wasn't for him, basically forcing me to do it or kind of giving that point like, hey, you're not going to play past college. You know what I mean? Can you? It made you it? start to think about it. Yeah, seriously. Really, really. And even when the way I approached practice, you know what I mean? It was almost like a, I'd ask him questions, and I watched more games. You know what I mean? I, I was always the, the host for visits. So it was something I really liked to do, and then it's been a long road since then, but it's been a fun one. I wouldn't change anything I would have done. What did your parents want you to do? I don't think they really cared, as long as I did something. You know, they were never really like, hey, this is what you need to do. They, they were just, you better go to school, you better get your education, and you better find something to do. Now, my uncle, Carbolato, who's my dad's oldest brother, was the head of the psychology department for over 25 years at UCF. So he was the dean. And really, I, I just love psychology. You ever, you ever guys ever seen the movie? I'm sure you have Silence of the Lambs. You ever saw that? Sure. I saw that movie. I was like, I was, I was just like blown away by, you know, the whole forensic and doing this. And, and then my ju- junior year, uh, I majored in psychology. My junior year, we went to um, uh, a prison and had to do like a field trip, kind of just observe it. I left there saying, no way in hell I'm doing this. <laughs> Forget that. Maybe sports psychology will work. But I, th- I think that my parents didn't really care. You know what I mean? And funny enough, I think psychology is one of the best majors to go into if you're going to go into coaching. It's really helped me. Motivational tactics, yeah. how to speak to different type of a char- you know, people with a character, um, how to approach guys differently. Like not everybody – you can't coach yeah. everybody the same. Yeah, well, as soon as the first time you said you wanted to go into sports psychology, my first thought sitting over here is you kind of did. Exactly. It, it's, a, it's a daily deal. It, re- it really is because, you know, with all these different personalities, guys learn in different ways. you got to be innovative in how you teach. You, but at the end of the day, the same message has to be sent. So you can't complain and say, like, you don't get it. Well, you got to figure out how he can get it. Or you can just sit here and complain about it and lose games. It's something that really helped me. I, it really did. Give me all your stops as an assistant coach. Oof. All right. Augusta State University, two years, 99 to 2000, graduate assistant. Southridge High School, 2000 to 2002, assistant coach. 2002 to 2003, one year assistant coach, making no money, Nova Southeastern University. After that, two years, 2003 to 2005, assistant coach, Miami-Dade Junior College. FAU, 2005 to 2008. University of Miami, 2008 to 2009 as an administrative assistant. 2009-2012, High Point University under Scott Cherry. 2012-13, FIU, Richard Patino. 2013, April to 2013, beginning of May, Minnesota. (laughs) May 2013 to 2017, University of Louisville. 
2017 and 2036, Arkansas State University. Did I say that loud? <laughs> now, I, I, I want to touch on your relationship with Coach Patino here in just a minute, but you, you left out something that you did, and you've told me this just in conversation over the years. You actually got to hang around the Miami Heat and Pat Riley for a time. Now, what was that all about? What were you doing there? I was doing an internship when I was in school, and I was basically trying to get involved with anything that would give me some course credit, and it was in my senior year. And I would go there basically two or three times a month during the season and do you know some editing work and then be around the, the team and help out. And it was really like I think my advisor was one that – was able to get that done you know what I mean so I had the the luxury of being around like I wasn't sitting in the office with them I wasn't sitting but I was able to see that was when they had Tim Hardaway and all those guys back then and you talk about an eye-opener I mean, that's the NBA now you know you talk about you know they had Vashon Leonard all these guys Alonzo Mourning who was a phenomenal player and you get to see different stuff you get to see different and you I got to see like Spolstra when he was back in his like really, 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 really young age. Well, that's what I was just thinking when you said you you were you'd go over and do some editing. I'm like, I mean, well, hey, it could have been you. Spolster came from the film department, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, well, he was he. See, back then I'm in school, so I'm thinking like this is just for credit, right? Like I didn't know I, I that was now. Coach had just talked to me the year before about coaching, but I didn't know if I was going to do it or not. Maybe, maybe not. And back then, guys, it wasn't like it is now. We had three towers of VHS tapes, and you had to like dub each one. And my job was like just dub them from one. I mean, I'd sit in there like this sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is the NBA. What the heck? Play, record, sit there because you couldn't fast forward it yeah. back then. You had to sit the whole Real game. Time, yeah. Sit there. You know what I mean? Get up, do the next one. It was like wow. But look, you know, he's he's doing pretty well for himself now. It was interesting. It was fun. It was now, a short Did time. you have an interaction at any point with Coach Riley? Or? Not much. No. Every once in a while, I'd see him, you know, um, i just listen to everything he said. And, and I couldn't really stay a, a lot for practices because, first of all, they're traveling all the time. Second of all, I was playing at the time, too, so we had practice as well. So it was only literally after days that I had practice or before I'd go over there, do my hours, and come back. So I couldn't really, but I got to experience him watching him practice which was great stuff he'd say you always remember those things i mean the guy's one of the best to ever do it you know what i mean so you don't really you know you really don't take advantage of it back then if i know then what i know now i would walk around with a notepad you know what i'm saying yeah. or, or or snuck or he would have he would have been annoyed with me like well, what are you doing why are you here you know what i mean i was just going to get credits and out but when i look back now it was a pretty cool experience that's one legend Another legend that you were around a lot more than that was Rick Pitino. Yep. Tell us, and I know you could probably go all day, just yeah. how you became better as a coach, what you learned, and, and what that relationship still is like. Because right. I know ever since you stepped foot at Arkansas State, he's still been a sounding board for you. He has. Um, he just won his 800th game the other day. We sent him a text and congratulated him. You know, when you grow up being a fan like I was watching basketball and you watch, I can remember his, I went to his camp when he was a head coach at Kentucky. I mean, I went to his camp. That My parents flew me there, about four of us on our team, to go to his camp. Uh, that's when Billy Donovan was a GA. That's when they had Reggie Hanson, who was about going about going to the NBA. Um, you know, he's, he's a legend. Like, 
you would never think you'd have the opportunity to work with him. You know, he's somebody that's like the Wizard of Oz, like you watch him on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's Rick Pitino. Like, yeah. He's a head coach. And then he becomes a head coach of the Celtics. Well, who's your favorite team? I mean, I grew up watching them. So that was another cool deal. First, it was, I say, luck. One. Two, it was, um, you know, his humbleness to hire somebody like me. That he, There must have been 3,000 other people more qualified. But he does things in a different way. He, he truly believes he can make anybody a good coach if you're not. And if you are, he'll make you better. And you working under him, you have no choice but, but to get better. That's how much pressure it is. It's good pressure, but it's pressure. I mean, you, you walk in every day wanting to do, to do your best. And when I first met him, first time I met him, first time I ever, ever met him one-on-one, I was interviewing with Richard Pitino. I fly down to Miami. We meet all day on campus. And then that night he says, hey, when are you going back? I said, I'm staying here for another couple of days. He says, meet me at my dad's house tonight. You know, my dad wants to meet you. Just meet me at my dad's and we'll go out to dinner. I said, okay. And he sends me the address in his Indian Creek. You know what I mean? Like, I know Miami well. Indian Creek's a pretty nice place. First of all, I don't know if I can get in there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I need like a, you need like a retina scan or something? Um, but he gives me the address. And I think dinner was at 7 o'clock. I left my house at 3.30 and drove around South Beach for about two hours just to make sure I wasn't late. Um, and I pull into the island and doors open. I knock, doors open. Richard says, come on in. Richard's there. His wife is there. His brother's there, uh, Michael, who lived there. And three other guys, Stevie, Uncle Stevie, and Uncle Joe. Now, close your eyes for a second and think about this. Rick Pitino and two guys, Uncle Stevie and Uncle Joe. <laughs> and and, I, and we, I walk in, and Richard's like, uh, oh, my God, I remember it was yesterday. He says, hey, just go to the back. I'll be out in a second. I'm changing, whatever. And I walk out to this table, beautiful pool, beautiful house, and there's a long table, and I'm sitting at the table. And at the end of the table is Uncle Stevie and Uncle Joe, and they're drinking whiskey. They're just staring at me and drinking whiskey, and I'm like... I'm sitting there like, I'm about to get whacked. <laughs> and they're just sitting there. And, you know, and but by the way, two of the best people ever. Uncle Joe, I mean, he's unbelievable. Um, and he's just looking at me. He says, how are you? I said, I'm good. Uncle Joe, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, work with Richard. Yeah. I'm like, I'm hoping, you know, oh, God, what's, what's going on here? Um and then I got to coach walked out and asked me something. What do you want to work for my son? What do you what do you bring to the table at FIU? Tell me your experience at High Point. Why you want to leave? Who have you recruited? What's the what do you look for in recruiting? I mean, it was like, and and I answered the best I could without peeing myself. And uh, you know, it's Rick Patino sitting about a foot from me. And then he says, "Okay, hey, you guys go to dinner. I got something to do." And he just left, and we went to dinner. You know, and what's amazing because you. You come here from there, so you get sort of on the national scene through that association with Richard and it was Rick. Right. Like, because of the stuff you just mentioned and the uncles and, and all, your name being Bilotto, you could have completely rewritten your history. You could have, I mean, I mean, you have to tell people I'm not Italian, don't you? Oh, yeah. After oh, you're yeah. Tied they, tell, they ask me all the time. Well, every time we go to dinner or something, you know, you know so many people like in New York, he says, hey, good old Italian boy. I said, I'm actually, I'm actually Cuban. <laughs> I say I really love him. I'm actually Cuban. <laughs> um, it fit perfectly, you know. In the story, he said when he first got hired at 
um, where he was going to get hired at Penn State. You know, the whole Patino Paterno type thing and didn't work out, and that's how he kind of evolved. Which is another. I mean, you can read the story, but that was the day that changed my life forever. Um, the story I just told you was just working for his son. You know, and then that night when I left, um, Richard told me, hey, meet me at the office tomorrow at whatever, 9 o'clock. And coach that night, I get a phone call. Frank Martin calls me about 11 o'clock. Just got the phone with Rick Pitino. He called me asking about you. Sergio Rocco gets off the phone, calls me. Hey, just so you know, Rick Pitino just called me. But Estes, who I work for at Miami-Dade, who was at, uh, I think, Barry at the time. Or no, he was uh, he was on... He was a JUCO coach in, in Oregon because his wife got a job there, calls me. says, hey, Rick, I just spoke with Rick Pitino. He called me. And I was blown away because it's, it wasn't Richard. It was his, yeah. you know, his dad's doing the research now because he wants his son to be successful. He don't want any you know, guys that aren't good for him. And the next day, I'm waiting for him to come in and coach and him come in. Richard's like, and this is this. You got to know Richard, but this is how Richard was. I'm I'm dressed still in like a nice button down, you know, slacks. I, and he watching. He goes, "What are you doing wearing that?" And I'm like, I'm, "I think I'm still interviewing." And he's like, "Mike, you got the job. We put some shorts on for God's sake. It's basketball." <laughs> and his dad walks in and says, "We get out of those slacks." And I was like, "I got it." We didn't talk money. We didn't talk anything. So I accepted, and I'm went to my office, and I'm changing. Give me some FIU stuff, and I'm like. Maybe I should ask, like, like how much I'm making, just because I do have two kids. <laughs> so, and then he gave me the salary, which was perfect, and that's how it all started with that family. Mm. Then, I, I want to eventually get to this year's team, but I do want you to be able to tell one more story about Coach Patino here. Kind of goes back to when you were being hired at Arkansas State and the whole process of you kind of looking at Arkansas State while you were being interviewed and you're at Louisville at the time, you guys are getting ready for the NCAA tournament when this is all happening. But at the same time, Coach Patino cared enough to do an extensive amount of research about Arkansas State before you came here. He wanted to make sure you were in good hands and that this was the right fit for you. Yeah, and I remember when Coach McCaslin got hired, I was talking to Terry about the position. I can't. I interviewed with him. I'm in Kansas City, so Coach had done the research back then too. You know, he looked. Is it a good place? You know, his first question was Jonesboro. Does it have an airport? Where's that? You know what I mean? And I said, Oh, it's about an hour from Memphis. Oh, that's not bad. Sunbelt, we knew about it because we were in the league when we were at, at FIU. So Richard, I guess, told them something about the school. I always remember the 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 now the first National Bank Arena, but back then it was a convo. I can always remember the like the fans. Like I have nightmares of this place when Dickie was here of a young man named Ryan Weedle who killed us oh, on, yeah. the, on the same play. Like three straight times, it was a comeback screen, bang three, bang three. I want to tackle that kid after the game. But I remember the fans and I remember like um you know, support that I saw. We didn't see much of the city because we stayed at Hilton Garden Inn. We'd, you know, drive to Memphis and fly out, drive to Little Rock because we played there. But, um, you know, Coach did all the research. You know, what do they have there? Who's coached there? Um, he knew Coach Brady. I don't know if he called him or not. Might have. You know, did research on the school. How many people were there? How long has it been in the summer? I mean, hey, he knew all that, which was amazing to me. And so we played Jacksonville State and then playing Michigan to go to the Sweet 16 in round two. And that's when Dr. Welch and Terry and Dr. Whitlock came in and flew in Indianapolis and met with us. But before I even got to them, 
coach said, "You make sure I meet with him before you talk to him." And he was in there. I mean, I'm, listen, I'm about to meet a, 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 a chancellor, a system president, and the AD who I knew to talk about a job, and Coach Patino's in there for an hour. I'm standing outside the meeting room. <laughs> Is it an hour? And I, I hear, you know, you can hear muffling, and then you can hear bursting into laughter, and then quiet, and then bursting into laughter and quiet. And I'm, you know, my emotions are going up and down. I'm like, what's going on in there, you know? And then he opens the door, like he does. You can imagine, it's like he opens the door, and he looks at me, and he says, and he puts his thumb up, he says, you're good. <laughs> I said, I'm good? I haven't even met with him yet. <laughs> what do you mean I'm good? You know, kind of his way of saying, like, he was big on this, this is getting job. So, hey, like, basically... You're going to get it. Just don't mess it up, you know, kind of deal. But there was another hour talk. And then Terry and them are about to fly back. And I don't mean to like go on on this, but you guys got to know this stuff. So Terry had to go fly. They were going to fly back. And Coach walking to the bus says, no, 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 no. You guys are coming to practice. Come on, come on, come on. You guys are going to practice. You got to see him work. You're not going to hire a guy you don't see work. And Michigan was my scout. So, first of all, it's already stressful enough. You work for a, you work for this guy. You got to know all the plays. You got to make sure you're on point. You got to prepare to win the game. And then you got these three guys sitting in the stands. Maybe offer you a job, maybe not. So, I'm like... I mean, I'm sweating before practice even starts. And then once practice was over, I'm walking to the locker room. We're about to watch film. And Coach looks at me and says, where are you going? And I said, we're going to go watch film. He says, you might want to talk to the AD that wants to hire you before you walk into the locker room, son. And I said, yes, sir. So I walked over there and (laughs) Dr. Welch offered me the job. And when I got back into the locker room, I guess Coach had told all the players. And they were all cheering, you know what I mean, hugging me and stuff. So... That's one of his ways of showing accomplishment for his for his assistants. You know, he 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 was big on guys moving on. Well, know, nobody's had more assistants nobody. hired yeah. as head coaches. Thirty three, I think it is total. Unreal. So you get here, and obviously, nobody wants to win more than you. It's your oh. deal. So even you didn't win as many as you want to in years one through four. What'd you learn? And other than putting this roster together, how did it all kind of build up to where this team is right now? I think it was really sticking to my morals. You know, there's a lot of times where you second guess, are you really doing it the right way? Do you have enough time? You know, I was a firm believer that if I wanted to build a program, it had to be done the way I was taught it was the right way to do it. Right people, right kind of character kids, change a perception of basketball as a whole in the community as far as not only on the court but off the court. Um, it takes time. And I tell you what, I'm not going to lie, and you're two and three. I'm like, boy, I'm going to have enough time to do this. I'm going to have to go out and just get some dudes that can just put the ball in the basket and deal with the other stuff. You know, if he's in trouble, if he got in trouble at this other school, if if he's, you know, known to be – I mean, we just got to figure it out because I need, we need to win or I'm, you know, I don't know what I'll be doing. Um, but I kept going back to, you know, building a program. If you really want to do it, you have to sacrifice and know that what you came in believing is the right way to do it. And if you don't have enough time, so be it. But you want to leave it better than when you found it. It's taken this time to get, like you said, the roster together. But I was not going to back down on certain things that I believed in. It's it, it took a while, but I learned not to second guess just to stick with it, but you, ha- you you don't have any choice but to sometimes. You've stuck to your plan, and you can look around not just the conference, but anywhere around the country. are a ton of teams out there that have a lot of talent, 
with a lot of transfers, Mm -hmm. a lot of egos, and they've come in thinking their role may be a little bit bigger than what it actually is. And a lot of times late in the season, you'll see these teams kind of fade down the stretch. With your team, it has a little bit of a different feel just because you've only added one player from last season. It seems like everybody kind of knows their roles now, and they accept those roles. That's big. Accept and be a star in your role. A lot of guys might not like their role, and they might want to do more, but they've accepted it. Because they know that's what's going to help us win. And Christian Willis is a prime example. The the guy's a a sixth-year senior. He's done everything right his entire career. He's started a whole lot of games at Arkansas State. But but there's games where he may not play. And I know he wants to be out there. He's a competitor. But he's not going to come complaining to you. He's one of those guys that kind of makes this thing work. Yeah, like, like Christian Willis is to me one of the best human beings I've ever been around as a coach. Forget basketball player. Like, he's talented. His character um, and who he is is so phenomenal. Like, he, he could he he could form a workshop and take the last six guys on every team and coaches put them in the room and see what can teach those guys how to make your team better without having to play. Because last year he started basically every game. He had a game-winning shot against Little Rock. Had a huge shot against yeah. South Al. I mean, he's had some huge moments at Arkansas State. And this year, Desi comes in. Malcolm's playing more. Avery's playing more. He's kind of like the six-year veteran in the NBA, kind of like 12-year veteran who sits there and practices his butt off and is great and positive. And then if his number's called, he'll be ready. You know, it's not that he's not good enough. That's crazy to think. The guy's won games for us. It's it's his role is to be the veteran leader on the team and make and, and he's never been a distraction. You know, a lot of people don't understand that. Like you can be easily be a distraction when you're not playing. He's has been the complete opposite. And a lot of people need to know that about him. And the kid's going to leave here with a, a, a four-year degree and a master's and a full-time job. <laughs> I mean, his first client, you're looking at him. He was doing life insurances, and he came to me. He says, I want you to meet this guy in Northwestern Mutual. I want to put you guys together. I said, see, Will, are you a part of this deal? He says, yes, sir, I'm working for him. I said, let's meet. Let's do it. I need a life insurance anyway. Uh, my wife was really happy about it. She's been kind of funny walking around the house with sharp objects, but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, she said, that's all you're thinking about buying? Yeah, that's it. Um, but, you know, it, that I wouldn't do that for somebody I don't trust. You know what I mean? I just wouldn't. Now, the, obviously, that's all the credit to Will. Flip side is, too, is there wasn't any mystery what he was signing up for. Right? right to come back this extra year. I mean, Absolutely. you guys were everybody was honest about kind of the situation. Yeah, and and it, it, look, we could have easily said, "Hey, see, well, thanks. Like you've been here, you got your degree. Listen, we need the scholarship, you know, for for somebody." But how can I do that to a kid who's put that much time into me and my family and worked hard for the school and changed? Like when he first got here, you know, see, we had a little bit of rough edge to him now. Tough kid, and he molded himself into being somebody completely different. And you think it's fair to me to tell him, hey, man, thanks for your time. Thanks for your service, but you're out. Coach, I want to come back. I want to be a part of this. You say no. But Malcolm's a year older. Avery's a year older. You know, we might get another kid. Coach, I just want to be part of it. If I play, I play. If I don't, I don't. Does he want to play? Yes. Come on. Come on. Mm-hmm. He's a competitive kid. Is he okay with not playing? Probably not. 
Is he showing it? Nope. Is he a distraction? Nope. He just does what he does. You talked about the psychology that that you learned in college and and how you have to deal with players differently. But it seems like with this team, your demeanor is different this year. And look, you're winning more games. That's one thing. But even when your team hasn't played well, you're not raising your voice with this team. I I think you're trusting them in a lot of these situations to kind of figure things out. Yeah, uh, it's made a lot easier on me because I've – guys, we've sat here. This is now your – I've sat – in those halftime meetings or post-game meetings watching film and been like, well, we're in trouble. I mean, we're – I don't know how we're going to score. I don't know how we're going to do this. we got to get this next year. You know, it, those are the – this year, the five games that we've lost, I've been upset after two of them, really. After Moorhead State, because I didn't think we played with any energy. Yeah. And uh, the other night at App State, I didn't think we played with the same energy. It was the only two games. Texas Tech at Texas Tech, played your butt off after the second half. Illinois is Illinois. I mean, they're that good. They were playing at home, first game of the year or second game of the year for them. Um, and then Louisiana, you lose in overtime. You know what I mean? So why get upset at these guys? When I, go in, when I went in the next morning to show them film on App State, I rev myself up the whole night. Like, I'm going to go after this guy. I'm going to go after this guy. Because that's what I was used to with other guys that were here that didn't feel they really cared enough. Yeah, they wanted to win, but did they care enough to take it that they were the reason or they could they, they were a part of the losing effort? And when I sit down and look at their faces, Caleb Fields was 0 for 9. I look right at him, and he I know he blamed himself for the loss. I look at Desi Seals, and Desi thinks he played horrible. And you can see it in his face. And then Keese is taking responsibility. You look at Norshad, and Norshad's got this, like, I played awful. I had 11 points, 10 rebounds. How can you go after those guys like that? If they already know, mm-hmm. if they've already accepted on themselves, like, hey, it was my fault, and the other guy's like, no, 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 it was actually my fault. How can I go ahead, it was your fault, it was your fault. They already know that. So let's teach. Let's teach. Let's watch the film and teach. Be constructive criticism. This is why. This is what we need to do better. Do you understand that? This is where I, this is where I feel we didn't do well enough. This is where I was upset with you guys. And it's more fun to coach that way. Now, they are more mature. You know what I mean? Keese has been around a long time. Desi uh, feels it started for you know three years for me. Norshad's more more um, mature. Just makes it easier when you have everybody understanding where you're coming from and you don't have to freaking lose your mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's, what comes, that's what it comes down to. You know, freaking lose your mind. You mentioned Keese, and you and I actually brought this up. Uh, I think we were at the airport the other day, and, and I think it's a great comparison. Just how long you and Keese have been together. (laughs) And y'all been together the last five years. And the way your relationship has grown and the way he's grown as a person, as a player. I know he drove you nuts at times the the first (laughs) two or three years he was here. But we've seen him really grow into his own, I guess, really starting in the second half of last year and, you know, kind of going on into this year. But. You and he have both compared your relationship to Greg Popovich and Tony <laughs> Parker and the way that relationship was. Yeah, if you watch the Tony Parker uh, documentary, man, Pop was in him, especially early in his career. I mean, he would blame him for it. He was 18 years old, blame him for everything, drove him nuts, played loosely, didn't work on his game hard enough. And then he ends up winning NBA championships with him. 
and their relationship just grew. They were together for so long that later on in the documentary, you would see when Tony was older and Papo still be yelling, but the face that Tony gave when he was younger is different than when he was older. He kind of looked like, like Pop. Okay, like I get it. Are you, are you done? You know, like that. It was that face. Boy, I've seen that face so much over the last two months. Keys, for God's sake, can you do it? He looked at me, coach, like, you done? I got you. And just move on. And I let, you know, I, I, I let it out. And it wouldn't phase him one bit. Or even before I get on somebody else, for probably something that wasn't as bad, but I want to send a message, he like gets in my way. I'm like, get out of my way. I want to yell at him. I got it, coach. Don't do it. Don't. You can't do it right now. Just get up, stand over there. I'll be like, no, you stand over there. No, I got this. Just, just get, you know, and that's a maturity on his part. That's a relationship we built. And now he's the all-time leader in games played. Yep. Top five on the career scoring list today, State. And he's leading the nation in free throw percentage as we speak. Yeah, and he's going to have a great career making a lot of money someday. He really is. I mean, he is a – the way he's grown – if you guys remember, Keith was a state player of the year. I think he averaged 12 points in high school, guys. Yeah. He, he, he averaged – it was 12. He made himself into a more, uh, you know – a rounded player when he was here. His hard work, and um, he can still do all that stuff, but he's a better shooter, better scorer. He also came through, at least finished up, in a program as part of the team, a little bit like this, where one guy did not have to carry the no, load. No doubt. He had a really good team, and he taught him how to play with other good people around him and still affect the game. He does that now. I mean, So I'm going to shift here a little bit because I know you've told this story, but Obviously, you know the coach at Miami Prep. And you hear he's got this kid that's putting up video game numbers. Right. And you even wonder, okay, but who are they playing? So talk about going and watching Miami Prep and IMG. Yeah, he called. Well, he called me in September. And it's just hard to get out. Actually, it was. And we had already started practice. But it's hard to get out and recruit. You know, during that time, we got practice, got games coming up. He, he kept calling me. Kept texting me, 26 on 24. You're falling asleep on this kid. And I called him back. Because he even texted in an accent. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I have it when you get yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, and when people text me, I, in my mind, I have my own voice for yeah. everybody. Yeah. And that's his voice. Uh-huh. I look at it, you're missing the point, you know, but. <laughs> He called me, don't, don't, trust me, he called me too. Did you see a number last night? 36 and 20. So I'm thinking, I know. Coach Alvarez, he's a great guy. Coach so many guys. I'm like, uh, if it's 36 and 24, he probably had 25 and 12. You know what I mean? He's adding a little more rebounds here and there. And then he calls me and says, you want to see him play? You need to come down and watch him play. We play IMG on a Tuesday, I think it was. And we didn't play that day, that week. We are playing Little Rock. So we, we didn't play until Saturday. So it's the only time I can get down there and watch him live. And uh, I was excited to see him, you know, and I – I walk in the gym and he's playing against, you know, Kenny Martin Jr. and two or three other guys. One guy went to Gonzaga, one guy goes to Cal, one guy goes to Oregon State. I mean, it was the team was really good. I mean, I see this six, seven, live wire, all over the place, rebounding, dunking, blocking shots, not getting tired. I mean, it, it took me five minutes. And Art, who's Art, yeah, you guys got to meet him. He, he'll be up here soon, hopefully, to watch him play. But he's not even coaching the game. He's looking at me, saying, I told you. At some point, did you text him in the game, take him out? That, no, no, I was, no, well, I, well, I looked around. <laughs> this is what I did. Immediately, I looked around and said, Good, no other college coaches here, perfect. <laughs> and I, I just, after the game, I, I, 
I talked to him. I said, I mean, Art, there's nobody better that fits the way we play. Now, did he have some deficiencies? Yeah. Was he the most skilled kid? You know, some stuff you need to work on, but everybody does. Um, I was just blown away. And I, by the way, I did the stats that game. You know, I'm watching every make, every free throw, every rebound, 41-17. Like, I, I had it on my paper. And then I went after the game. I said, Art, how many points did he have and rebounds? 41 and 17. So it wasn't like he was fudging the other ones. Could have easily fudged that one. But I took every stat. And I was, I, I've never seen a kid, Montrez Harrell, he's the only other guy, that, that has the second jump he has, the, the motor, the, the physicality, the, you know, the, the rebounding out of his test tube. I call it test tube. Like he, he rebounds from everywhere. Um, I've never seen anything like that. And really, he's only played three years of basketball now. And, and you think about, just the ceiling for Norshad O'Meara and, and how good he is right now. I mean, it's fun to watch him develop before our eyes right now. Oh, no, it's so much fun. And it makes it more fun when he's a hard worker, too. You know, it makes it more fun when he's willing to learn and willing to be coached and willing to do the extra stuff. Like, um, he's just so new, or not anymore. He was very new at the mental side of the game and understanding the speed and strategies and, you know what I mean? He's still... He still makes some mistakes, and I lose my mind on him. But I got to remember, he's only played for not that long, you know. And he, it's really fun to watch what he like. People say that all the time, you know. What's his ceiling, right? And um, I don't know, Venus. I mean, he doesn't have you know stratosphere. Like I don't know. I mean, his kids only played. God, how much more, much better he can get if he has all the time in the world to play just basketball. Yeah. I love his story because he's he's playing pickup and two people just pull up in a car. Yeah. No, he's playing no, playing baseball. Baseball, yeah. yeah. He was he was on the mound. And they and they they pull up in the car and sit there and watch him. We'll say, "Hey, we're playing in a basketball tournament <laughs> this play. weekend. You want to play?" So he goes and asks, he can play. Says first time he plays, he just says, "Oh, there was rebound and, and throw it to, it to somebody that knew the rules." <laughs> I believe it. I go, Coach, I would rebound and throw it to my team. That's what he said. <laughs> Threw it to somebody who knew the rules. Get it out of my hand. Oh, I can just picture that happening, and I can see a 15-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid doing that. And he, he probably got on the bus and had no idea what he did. Norshad, you know he had 35 rebounds? Is that good? <laughs> he doesn't know. Oh, what a great kid, man. And he is a great kid. I mean, that, that's what makes him – it's such a good story yeah. because he is a good kid. He's just blossoming in front of our eyes. I mean, we're, we're watching him get better every single time mm-hmm. he takes the floor. He's putting up these incredible numbers. But the relationship between you and him, I think, is, is as big of a story as anything because I get a kick, kick out of you guys. I mean, big moments, a lot of the times you forget the English and you're speaking in Spanish to Norshad while he's on the floor. Yeah, he knows what he's doing there, too. I mean, that, that last play against Texas State, the fake handoff that he missed it but dunked his own ball, we ran a play to hand off the keys so nobody else knew. And I told him in Spanish, you're not, don't hand it off, just rip baseline. So he rips baseline dunk. I see Keese's face because Keese knows the play. <laughs> Keese gets mad at Norshad because he thought he messed it up. Like, what are you doing, coach? Man, you know, get off says it. Let it go. Like, leave him alone. But... I think that's been a big help for him. I really do. Um, being such a novice and learning the game and playing it at, at, at a organized level, high level, I think that 
him, me being able to tell him things quickly where he can probably process it better. And by the way, he speaks great English. You guys know that. He does. He speaks great English. He speaks English in blue fields. Like, I think sometimes it's just certain things that I can tell him that he um, retains better. And it's a big advantage for us because nobody else knows what we're saying. Especially don't pass it to anybody. Yeah, yeah that, that's really, that's yeah, a good that's one easy. to have yeah, in Spanish. Nobody else gets nobody else, <laughs> nobody else gets mad. They don't know what I'm saying, but you know we do have a good relationship. You know I, I love the kid like he was my son. I want to I do a lot of prefacing here because this what happens. I'm not talking about any particular kid. I'm not talking about any particular school. I don't want. I'm not trying to get you to name names. I'm not trying to get you to incriminate yourself or anybody. Just what happens. I'm going to ask this question because you happen to be in an era now where. There's a there's a downside to being at a level like Arkansas State and finding a diamond in the rough or developing a great player. Right? How much tampering is going on? Uh, I can say, one hundred percent, know for a fact that schools at the high major level are tampering with mid major players. I know it. You can't tell me uh, that they don't have a list of guys in every league that have more years left that they're going to go after or can you talk to them directly no that's a clear violation can you talk to anybody associated with him about transferring no prove it prove to me that you didn't call an AAU coach talking to him about quote unquote the 2024 kid he's got on his 16 and under team unless unless the conversation is recorded it's happening all the time you know what I mean and it's a shame uh, because I think the kids should have the opportunity to transfer and not sit. I think that's great for him. Coaches can leave, you know. So that is something that if a kid is not happy, being mistreated, not not playing, wrong system, made the wrong decision, those guys should have the opportunity to, to kind of re-recruit themselves. Or you know, I, I, get that. I, I, I get that. What I don't like is the fact that I know for a fact that there are schools that – the mid-major coach, quote-unquote mid-major coaches are doing all the work in developing these kids, and they're they're reaping the benefits because they're selling TV or they're selling, you know. NIL. NIL. By the way, so that's such a misconception because ESPN Plus, if you have internet, all you got to do is pay five bucks. Everybody gets it now. So give me a break. You know what I mean? Like, don't tell me the TV exposure, for God's sake. Yeah, you, so you play one game on ESPN, two games on ESPN. Oh, okay. But you, I can also watch ESPN Plus anywhere. So you're going to get the exposure you want to get. You know what I mean? You, you, people that are going to watch are going to watch. Um, we have the same amount of – I have the same amount of contacts that some other schools have at the high major level with the NBA. I worked with a guy that has put more pros in the NBA than a lot of other people. And I've dealt with NBA uh Front office people, everybody that's recruited came in and talked about Terry Rozier and Damian Lee and Donovan Mitchell and Montrez Harrell and Gorky. I mean, they, it goes. This goes on and on and on. So, is that a is is that a disadvantage? No, it, it's just about. It's tough. I know it's happening. I know it's happening, and it's going to happen. It's, that's not going to change. That's going to continue to happen. Um, but you just got to find the right kids that are love where they're at and can make the place just as good. You know, can make the place just as special uh, than than these other places that can promise all this stuff. One kid that seems to be making this place a little bit more special right now is a hometown kid that came in this year. We had a chance to visit with Desi on this podcast mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. What a great, by the way, that was a great podcast. Really enjoyed that oh, visit. Man. And, you know, he was just really open and honest about his story. And I, I think people... 
enjoy being around him. They enjoy watching him play. But he's enjoying being here. And yeah. and that's really evident by just watching him and everything he's doing right now. And he wants to come back to his hometown and bring a championship here. He does. I remember him saying it means so much more because it's Jonesboro. He has been... For, to get a young man like that coming back home, winning a state championship in your hometown high school, going 32-0, going to the the, the, the the high major school in the state, everybody, you know, you have a lot of Hog fans, right? And then him having the maturity to take that and say, no, I'm leaving here. It's not a right fit for me. To, and I'm going to go to the school in the same state in my hometown to help them win. He's a tough kid. I can't, I, I can't imagine how many Arkansas fans send him nasty messages on DM? Because I get them from them all the time. I can imagine him, trade or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Um, I know I, I know he did. For him to be able to put up with that and still be successful at what he's doing, like that is a kid that has more character than anybody, than, than, than a lot of people would have as a normal human being. You know, And him coming in with his, his maturity as far as like, no, I'm not going to shoot every ball. No, this is my team. No, I'm going to put up 25. Dude, first month of practice, I'm like, oh, you're going to shoot? Like, I'm there, haven't seen you shoot since July. Like, you're going to take a shot, maybe? Because he, coach, I just want to fit in. I want to make sure I understand what's going on. Like, who does that? I'll tell you who does that. A future pro, a, a successful young man, a mature guy, and a kid that's all about team. That, that's who does it. And by the way, he can still have put up 25 if you, if you blink your eye, you know? Special kid. We're, I'm lucky to coach him. I'll just say that. I love what he said about the recruiting process and, and the credit he gave you and your staff. Is You didn't just go play the come home card. You had gone to high school, college stuff and found his video and said, all right, this is exactly what yeah. you fit and what you look like in our system. Yeah, he looked really good. When he played for Mike Anderson's freshman year, he looked really good because they played a lot up and down. That's his game. You know, It's the same tempo we play. and they, you know, A little slower now. Um, and that's that's their system, but I don't think it fits them. Does it fit them guarding the ball and rebounding and being the tough kid? Sure, yeah, but on the other end, it doesn't really fit his strengths. So we took Ty Cockfield clips, Marquise Eaton clips, um, Caleb Field clips, you know, all those things, and said, look, Donovan Mitchell clips. I said, by the way, it's the same stuff that we did there. <laughs> just different player, Terry Rozier. Like he reminds me a lot of Terry. I think him and Terry are very more similar than anybody else um, because they play so hard, you know. Um, and I showed him. I said, "Why, why can he do it here and you can't? Like this is what you, this is what we need you to do. This is how we fast we play." And I was hoping he'd like it. He could easily said, "No, nah, I'm good." Okay. Well, at least I told him the truth. I'm not going to show him. I'm not going to make up a video and then him get here and be like, "Yeah, that's not what you said." Like this is the way we play. So he liked it. You know, and then I was very straightforward with him and his mother and his grandmother when he wasn't going to Auburn. It was, I'm just happy he chose us and didn't allow outside influences to make a decision for him based on just because it was Jonesboro or just because it was Arkansas State. You know what I mean? I think I got to give the kid a lot of credit for sticking to his guns. I know you got to get out of here, but uh, before we wrap it up, I, I do want you to be able to tell folks as we go in to the month of February and your team as we record this is 14 and 5. You're 5 and 2 in the league in second place in the Sun Belt standings, competing for a league championship. For the casual fan that hasn't seen your team play yet, why should they come out and support your team? Well, first, we go back to building the program. 
I want to build a program of young men that play for the name on the front, not the name on the back. So if you're a Arkansas State University alumni, fan, student, um, just involved with it in any way, you're going to appreciate these young men playing for the school, not for themselves. That's number one. Uh, number two, you, you're going you're gonna to miss a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see a kid that probably won't come through uh, doors like this for a long, long, long time. You don't want to be the person that lived in the city, not being able to watch Omir play or Seals play, and then later on see him in the NBA on TV and say, wow, I, I saw that kid when he was a sophomore or a freshman. And then you're going to come and be entertained, I think. I really do think that this team is entertaining to watch. Oh, they, yeah. play fa- they entertain me. I'm coaching them. They entertain me. The plays that they make, the maturity they have, these are good kids. We built this thing to have uh, good character young men define what Arkansas State is is about. I think this team has that. And we need your support. I went to App State. You you were there, Matt. That that environment at App State was unbelievable. I was about to bring that up, and Brad and I were talking about this the other day. They've always had the best student section for football since we've come into right. the league. But that environment the other night, and they've got it set up the same way we do yeah. at First National Bank Arena. They've got the student section in one of the end zones. Right. They went all the way up to the top, yep. and and we talked about it in the post game. And you you didn't blame the loss on this, but no. you said, look, those students made an impact in that game. Huge, loud the whole time. The fans were engaged. It was people there. Like, that makes such a big difference, especially in conference play. Like, every game is hard. (laughs) They don't understand how hard it is to win games in this league. And if you have 4,000, 5,000 people, 1,000 students coming out and just having a good time and enjoying the people that they know, they go to class with, they, you know, you can't tell me that our guys walk around acting like they're big time. They they don't do that. I I, I think our guys are respectful to everybody. I hope they are. You got to like them. At least come watch, like yeah. it, it, support them, and they're selling beer now, right? <laughs> that they should are, be a reason yeah. alone just to go. <laughs> and here's and here's the thing, like the the place you know holds ten thousand. Would that be awesome? Sure. sure. But you go back to App, and you talk about the crowd and the impact. That was a little over three thousand. You go back to the last time you were at home. Yeah, that crowd was into that ball awesome. game. Seventeen hundred. It doesn't have to be full. To, to have a crowd that's going to make it hard for somebody to come in here and beat you. No, There's no doubt. Because if you're loud and rowdy and you're behind your team, it sounds louder than it is. Like, I thought there was 6,000 people at App. There's 3,500. 3, like, and 900 students. I mean, we need 1,000 students at our place. Like, come out, come out and su- support you know the guys. And if you have season tickets, I appreciate everybody that has bought season tickets for our games. I really do. I appreciate that you put the time and your hard work, earned money to buy seats, right? Well, please use them. Yeah. <laughs> just use them. Because if, if you're listening to this, you don't know. Because I, I just saw it. I had to, I had this conversation on social media. Somebody said they should lower the curtain and let everybody sit in the lower bowl. I said, that's all well and good. Most of those seats are sold. They're I can't, sold. They can't help it. The people aren't using them. They're sold. Yeah, they, people bought those seats. Like yeah. I would love to have people come down too. But if a guy comes in with 12 minutes in the first half to go and somebody's sitting in my seat, I'd be upset. So come. So that way it's full and we don't have that issue. You know, Just come and use your tickets. And if you don't use them for whatever reason, I know people have stuff to do. We've got kids, sports. I get that. Call somebody. 
and give them the tickets. It's already paid for. Like have somebody in there physically who would like to go and enjoy a good game. We need it. It's going to be big for us. We only got four left. It's exciting right now, and uh, this team is really fun to watch. Can't wait to see what happens in February and March. You got to go to practice, though. Yeah, I got. I got to run. I appreciate you guys. This is awesome, man. I, I love talking about my team and my players, and especially with you two. We've had some really good conversations over the years, but this is something that's great for me that that I can talk about these young men and get them to where they want to go. So thanks. All right, you're the best, buddy. Appreciate you appreciate coming you in, guys. That's uh, Mike Bellato. More to come here on the Second to None podcast right after this. Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize you're home. Really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC equal housing lender subject to credit approval. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Man, that was a fun visit with Coach Bellato. We learned a lot. Yeah, we did. And I hope uh, folks listening out there did too because it was a, a fun visit and uh, kind of hear his backstory and you know his thoughts on this team. And it was anyway, it was fun. It was one that from our standpoint and hopefully from a listener's standpoint too, you, know, you look down and said, well, we talked to him an hour and it didn't feel like that was the case when it was going on. We got a big week ahead for A-State basketball in particular. I do want to mention, though, Wednesday is the end of the signing period for football. and Well, it's the regular what we used to have called signing day. Yeah, we, we used to call this signing day, yeah. the, the first the, the Wednesday the late, in February. The start of the late period, but uh, yeah, now, now it's just when people finish up their classes. But used to be this was the holiday. Now it comes in December, where most of the players sign. But that's coming up Wednesday. And no, obviously there will be some. And it was a big weekend with visits last week. And you may even see, um, I don't know how Coach Jones will handle it. You could see some names come out of some guys that would be preferred walk-ons. Because what happens, like, like I think they got to get admitted to school and pay a housing deposit. And if they do that, then the coach can talk about them just as if they were a scholarship guy. And sometimes there have been instances, and I can tell you examples of kids that have done that, to get included in part of the class oftentimes not but they'll have some some out there i you know i think folks saw on social media there was a you know a kicker committed and i know he was one of the visits in town this past weekend so interesting uh, how many names we hear about come wednesday for men's basketball they're going into the week in second place all alone in the Sun Belt standings. They're at 14 and 5 overall, 5 and 2 in league play. Yeah, the Louisiana schools are in town. Uh, it's just, it, it is what it is, but it bugs me to look and see App State at 8 and 2 and Arkansas State at 5 and 2, knowing three games scratched. And look, who knows what happened in those three games, but I tell you, uh, Arkansas State favored, had a chance to yeah. win all three. You're right. Would've, favored in all three. Yes. Certainly very played right now. Now, who, I don't know about if the Georgia State game would have been played when it was scheduled. I don't know if Arkansas State would have been favored or not. If Arkansas yeah. State and Georgia State play today, Arkansas State's favored, I think. The men play ULM at home Thursday at 7, trying for the season sweep there. And then 
Saturday at four, the Cajuns will be in town and, you know, trying to split the season series there. You know, the first meeting was a really good one. The overtime loss a few weeks ago in Lafayette. It was interesting. I've never heard him say this, and maybe he was just being nice because he was on my show. But I had our friend Jay Walker on with me a week or so back talking about you know, Cajun football through the coaching change and some belt hoops and this and that. And he mentioned, you know, coming up for this game Saturday. And I've never heard him say he didn't have high hopes for a game, but he made the comment, I just don't think anybody's coming in there and beating those guys. I hope he's right. I do too. The women are on the road. They're making the Louisiana swing. They play at ULM Thursday night, 6.30, the tip time there, and then they'll be in Lafayette Saturday. Need that one. At two. Because ULM's winless right now on the women's side in conference play. So right now, go down get that one, okay? Get some confidence back. You've you've had these tight losses we talked about since the injury to Kia Patton. Get this one Thursday. Get a little mojo back. Because this is actually their first go-round with – with the Cajuns because they scratched on the game up here. So they haven't seen the team in Lafayette yet this season. All right, time to get out of here. Anything you need to get off your chest this week? No, man, I'm uh, in a kumbaya state of mind. I uh, just, for real. Kind of freaks me out when you're that way. uh, You know, because, uh, and I, I did not see the women's game or call the women's game on Saturday. Our friend Will Oswalt helped me out there from an ESPN Plus standpoint because I went to St. Louis with my six and eight year old uh, to the Royal Rumble. And I just, I'm in the very, so it was a Zen experience. You were in heaven. It, It was great. I mean, I'll be honest with you, and I'm willing to put this out there, even for the ridicule to get you. Borderline emotional. To be honest with you, we're sitting at the Dome at the America Center. Uh, there's 44,000 people in there. The Dome in St. Louis for the Royal Rumble, huge WWE event, one of their three biggest of the year. I cannot tell you how many Royal Rumbles we've had at my house between me and these two boys. If you if you get thrown off the bed and both feet touch the floor, you're eliminated. And they would go and they keep a phone out and they go to YouTube and they call up the entrance music of whoever they're going to be next. They play that guy's music and they come to the ring and they're back in it. When they get eliminated, they do it all over again. Just going through playing guys' music. We've had a million Royal Rumbles and talked about this was the one we wanted to go to. Even more than, for the, than going to a WrestleMania, I wanted to take them to a Royal Rumble. There's just never been one close enough to go to. So as soon as I was in St. Louis, uh, that, it's not getting closer. Can't. There's nowhere closer for it to be. So we weren't going to miss that chance. And so at 7 o'clock Saturday night when that show's going live, I just kind of caught myself in my feels thinking, well, and I'm, I mean, I'm sitting right between them. Brody's on my left. Stewart's on my right. And the first entrance music that plays for the first guy to come out in the first match, I hear Stewart say, and it's not even really to me. I just hear him say it because he's always talking. He says, this is incredible. And I was like, oh, man. Man, that's a great moment. Oh, gosh, yeah. I'm glad you got to do that. Me too. It's been a fun show. I want to thank Mike Bellotto for being a big part of it. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.